0: Hi there and welcome to the What on Earth podcast series. I'm Annie and I'm joined by my co-host Natalie and we're here to talk about all things climate change and what on earth to do about it. Our guest today is the award-winning environmental campaigner, author and founder of city to sea Natalie Fay. As a former headhunter in London, Natalie never dreamt she would become one of the most influential campaigners in the environmental sector. She is now listed as one of the UK's 50 New Radicals by The Observer and the University of West England awarded her with the Honorary Degree of Doctor of Science in recognition of her services to the environment. Natalie has a huge trail of successful campaigns to her name such as Switch the Stick, Plastic Free Periods and Refill and we can't think of a better person to join us for our final episode of the series.
1: Hi Natalie and welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you join us and to learn more about your inspiring story and how you came about setting up City to Sea.
2: Hi Natalie.
1: To begin we would love to know what first triggered you to make you want to address climate change. Um,
2: And hi Annie too. I wasn't just saying hi to (laughs) Natalie but I do have a bias towards her because she has such an amazing name. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you can't help like liking people more when they have the same names. Yeah, I'm sorry, on so okay. the back. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, I mean, actually, it wasn't climate change that that sort of initially got my attention. Um, it was it was plastic. So, um, I was obviously aware of the ecological crisis. Um, well, I say obviously, actually, I was working in, in telly and there's no reason why I should have obviously been aware of stuff going wrong in the world from an environmental perspective. But I have always been interested in um, nature and I've always been a nature lover despite being sort of quite an urban, um, having grown up in a fairly urban environment. Um, and when I went off travelling, when I was about 21, I... Um, I went to South America and I remember coming face to face with sort of deforestation and the effect large corporations were having on indigenous communities and mining and, um, and all of these things, um, not plastic pollution. But then, you know, fast forward 15 years from that point, um, I then became aware of the problem of plastic pollution. So probably back in 2013 or 2014, and I saw... A film, a trailer for the film called Albatross on Facebook. I think it was, and it was only like a yeah you know, one or one to three minute trailer. But it, it that was the catalyst, and I saw these incredible albatross chicks all suffering and dying with plastic in their bellies, and that started me off on my um, my mission to see what I could do about it.
1: And that mission led you to city to sea. So how did that come about?
2: Yeah, well, I guess I started trying to do something to stop plastic pollution and I'm I'm based in Bristol in the UK and I one day kind of realised just how much plastic there was flowing out of Bristol down to the Bristol estuary and saw it with my own eyes and got involved with beach cleans and was wading through all this plastic here in what was the European Green Capital of Europe in, in 2015. And so at that point I was like, okay, well, what can we do here, what can I do here? And is there anything we can do here that could be replicated in other cities around the world, or or other, um, um, yeah, or with other towns in the UK? And so that's how it began. So I set it up as a community interest company in twenty sixteen. And you've gone on to do some amazing things through
1: it, and also set up another incredible initiative, which is Refill. Um, are you able to explain more about that?
2: So, so City to Sea essentially um, is a campaigning organisation. So we run a number of of campaigns, and Refill is one of our um, biggest, sort of most successful campaigns, which is really about connecting people to free drinking water when they're on the go. So um, taps and fountains, and 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 kind of. Give Giving them permission and uh, to feel welcome to go into shops and cafes and and fill up their bottle for free. So we did that initially through posters and stickers, and that then grew into the, to an app. Um, and then we've worked with a number of like. High footfall places like Heathrow and Network Rail, and got more fountains installed as well. So we've got over thirty thousand places you can refill on the app, and over three hundred thousand people have downloaded the app. And, um, and And it's run by these fantastic volunteers and community schemes around around the UK. So yeah, that's been um, been an amazing initiative.
0: I actually didn't realise the link between city to sea and and refill because refill is such a huge thing on its own um and i've and i downloaded the app i don't know probably 18 months ago now and it was so useful when i was in london all the time i i absolutely loved it i think it's such a genius
2: idea thank you well yeah it's exciting we're expanding it now beyond water so um this autumn 2020 we're, we're launching the new version of the app where you can find your nearest zero oh, waste wow. shop you can Amazing. find where you can get discounts on your coffee cup and your lunch boxes if you refill them so it's kind of refilling wherever you eat drink or shop now that's incredible and that'll be so valuable yeah it's exciting um so yeah so refills like our big our biggest campaign but we've also got lots of other um, campaigns around um, plastics that get flushed down the toilet so initially we ran a big campaign around cotton bud sticks which was successful and we managed to get all the supermarkets to make them out of paper instead of plastic um, and then we worked more on plastic free periods looking at the hidden plastic in menstrual products and um, have developed spin-off sort of educational campaigns and programs around that but th- those are kind of two or three of our some of our biggest campaigns.
0: Yeah, in your book How to Save the World for Free, I loved the chapter specifically on bathrooms and I think the fact that it warranted a chapter on its own just demonstrates how much you can achieve just by focusing on your bathroom as a starting point. And I really loved the 3 P's idea so i wonder if you could explain that to yeah, us
2: i definitely i i major on the three p's in my ted talk as well which is quite funny. apparently i'm the only person to have done a ted talk sitting on the toilet which i'm quite proud of Good. <laughs> um, yeah i mean the bathroom is a really handy place to start when when you, you want to make changes in your life but you may be a short on time or money or um you know, or you just kind of want to make a few changes, but you don't necessarily want to overhaul your whole life because it can feel quite overwhelming. Actually, just starting with the bathroom is um, is, is a good place, especially if you have periods, because you can switch out your sort of plastic based disposable period products for a whole range of um of disposable in fact in my book i even dedicate a whole chapter to periods actually don't I? so uh so i obviously don't touch on that but pee paper and poo is basically the only thing that should go down the loo so that's that's the three P's. um, um and so the idea being that we, anything else we flush down the toilet blocks the sewer system which means that there's more of these horrible sewage overflows into our rivers and seas so Making sure you only flush pee, paper, and poo is, is one thing you can do.
0: Yeah, because what was it? A hundred million pounds a year spent unblocking wastage, essentially.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Or well, the, the water company spent that. So actually, you know, the idea is that if we could reduce those blockages, in theory, we could reduce our bills. I'm not quite sure they would reduce our bills, but um, yeah, but maybe. But maybe they would. Um, uh, but yeah it's it's sort of so so the bathroom and, and that connection between our toilets and rivers and seas is often we don't you know it can some people lots of people might treat the toilet just like a bin you just push the button and it magically disappears mm. but actually there is a direct connection from our sewers to our rivers um so yeah, so well, it, but in the book I I I do go into all the other things in our bathrooms around saving water, saving energy, like saving plastic and all all of those sort of things. So
0: yeah, one of the best things I've done, and I know that you're a fan of this as well, is to start using the Face Halo makeup remover pads because they're just like magic. You just don't need anything else apart from that and water which is just amazing.
2: So I just got bought and someone bought me another one for my for my birthday yesterday. And that's interesting because I've got two already and actually I've had them for, gosh, I think like, I've probably been using the Face Halo for three years um, and they're absolutely amazing. They're not made of organic natural materials and they do come in a small plastic bag, but I haven't used cleanser or cotton wool for three years because i've just got these two face halos and now i have three um and then i went on the bbc once talking about how you can go plastic free in your bathroom i was on a a show on telly and i took the face halo and the next day they contacted me and were like um can we send you a new one because your one's looking a bit (laughs) mangy. Yeah, sure. well it just yeah. shows how much you're reusing it uh, yeah. even if you've got like really smoky eyes um and you've got a lot of a lot of like eyeliner and waterproof mascara literally all you need is warm water and a face holder we're
0: giving them a good plug here aren't i we? Know, yeah but <laughs> so- i mean it is actual magic yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well i think that brings us really nicely to the main question of the episode which is, what on earth can I do as an individual to tackle plastic pollution
2: there's so many things you can do. I think just just look at what what you're most interested in or or do a bit of an audit, like a bit of an overhaul and see what item of plastic you're using the most um, so for me, for example, you know what I tend to do is use like plastic free July as the month where I can hone my Living with less plastic, which I do all year round, but generally through something like Plastic Free July, I can then I do the sort of the bigger things like I've used Plastic Free July before to like switch to a milk delivery in glass bottles, um, you know, find a new um, source because my my son likes to eat meat, and so find like a source of plastic free local meat. Um, those kind of things that we maybe don't get round to every day, um, you can use. Like those kind of hooks or pledges to to sort of to do more, but in terms of um, reducing your your personal amounts of plastic um you, you could sort of opt for doing something like getting plastic free in the bathroom and swapping out you know your toothbrush, your toothpaste, your shampoos your conditioners and and making all those swaps um, or, or you know you can commit to only using reusables when you're out and about on the go um make sure you get have a reusable bottle preferably a refill chilies reusable bottle because <laughs> you get 10 pounds every time someone buys one of those, or even a <laughs> new food pot um but yeah i think look at your life i would i would suggest that like anyone listening looks at, at their life and if they want to do something about plastic pollution on an individual level just kind of see what your pinch points are around plastic and see if you can solve them
0: i love that idea of having an audit on yourself during plastic free july because things are changing so much and there are always always ways to make improvements so kind of going over it and revisiting it and and highlighting areas where you can make improvements is is so important yeah um so how do you think we can galvanise and inspire people that uh, tackling plastic pollution on their own is worthwhile and how, how much impact can just one person have?
2: I think there's a, a few ways to answer that. I think, like, I'm a great believer in, you know, never underestimate your power um, as, a, as a citizen um, and also as someone who is voting with your wallet every time you, you buy something. So, you know, making those ethical choices um, is a, a small act of rebellion against the, the you know, the, the, the greater powers that would have us sort of locked into this buy more, consume more um, lifestyle. Um, and at the same time, I think we have to recognise that it suits the big plastic producers for us to think it's our problem to solve, and it suits them for the focus to be on the um, the the consumer, the 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 um, the shops that are selling it, the waste infrastructure. It's like, oh, it's our fault for not having the the good recycling facilities. It's our fault for not doing our recycling properly. It's our fault for buying too much plastic. When actually. It's the big plastic producers that are um, actively pushing and promoting more plastic around the world than than we need and our systems can cope with. And they are serious polluters. And, and this is obviously talking plastic pollution, but also um, climate breakdown as well, because obviously plastic is inextricably linked to climate change because of it being made from a fossil fuel and the extraction methods. So we, whilst we need to be engaged as individuals and show that we don't want plastic, and there is very much a need for that grassroots uprising, There is also very much a need for us to continue to call out the sort of pointless packaging from supermarkets, overpackaging from supermarkets, but also to keep putting serious pressure on government for proper legislation that's not going to then get weakened down and delayed by the plastic industry lobbyists. Yeah, what more should governments and big organisations be doing well, there needs to be more legislation and and more taxes on virgin plastics and more bans. I mean, there are we we thankfully do have a ban coming in. It did get delayed because of um, COVID nineteen, but the uh, Defer is bringing in a ban on some single use plastic items like straws and stirrers and cotton buds um, towards the end of this year, and the EU single use plastics directive is doing that as well in Europe but that was very much lobbied against by the plastic industry so you know that the fact that that's happening is great but it should have included um wet wipes that are you know 95% plastic that people are flushing down the toilet it should have included coffee cup lids um, or at least some kind of levy like a 5p charge on bags the same thing should be there on on coffee cups so so, outright bans on the real sort of items that really don't need to be made out of plastic, then levies and charges, taxes on um, single use items um, like coffee cup lids, um, and then um, things like deposit return schemes. So, actually, really um, putting a, a value on plastic so that it does actually get properly collected.
0: So how can we inspire individuals about the power of their vote and the future of politics?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think, you know, doing what you're doing is a good start. So raising awareness about it, getting the, getting the message out there to more people. Um, so I think, again, taking it back to what works for us as individuals. So for me, it's through writing, like, you know, doing writing my book or uh, writing articles or um, doing speaking events, doing funny content through City to Sea. So I think um, following your passion, like, you know, what is it that you're interested in and good at um, and and aligning that with the cause. And that cause might be wildlife, it might be plastic, it might be climate, it, you know, it might be... Um, social justice and where they intersect, you know, between, um, uh, social issues and environmental issues. So I think like looking at what it is that excites you, um, and your energy and enthusiasm and, and light really will attract other people to it. So I think, I think that's, that's the way that we can do it without, um, burning out as well.
0: I have to say that's one of the things that I really love about your book. It's very well balanced in terms of facts and statistics and advice and providing you with the tools of of how to make a change Um, because I'm quite against sort of using um, statistics in a very weighted way because I think you should lead by example, and you should say, oh, I've made this change, and it's had this much impact. Why don't you join me? And it should be a positive experience. And I think people will, uh, are much more likely to join in and, and kind of get involved from that rather than um, feeling helpless from,
2: from the severity of the situation. Mm, Thank you. Yeah, I think, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's often, it's often pain in some way or suffering in some form that motivates us to change in the first place. Um, And then occasionally, it's, because we're you know wanting to fit in or we're doing it because it's it's yeah it's fashionable it's trendy um or because someone's like oh my god like my menstrual cup is like the best thing my period is so much lighter I really enjoy using it I can't believe like I never use one like that can also make us change our our habits so but I I think there is still a place for um, and sort of mileage in um kind of the, the the shocking um, stuff and but too much of it can definitely overwhelm us and leave us thinking well what's you know what's the point um, so I think that's why I tend to bring it back to doing what you love because then if you succeed then great and if you don't succeed then that's okay because you've been doing what you love and you've still been growing as a person and enjoying yourself and um, so I think it's sort of you can be less attached to the outcome which is really important i think when you're working in environmental and political and social issues
0: so we wanted to talk a little bit about recycling as well because recycling can be an absolute minefield and um, particularly because it varies in different areas across the country and that can be quite challenging to navigate how can we understand this process easier and how can we encourage people to recycle better?
2: Well, the good news is that the government is going to, um, what's the word, sort of normalise, it's basically going to make each um, different region or city have the same recycling policies across the country. So it won't be different depending on where you go but yeah especially in london it varies from borough to borough whether you can recycle your tetra packs or whether you can't or whether you can put um yeah all sorts of things so um so yes recycling i mean i talk about it generally with a bit of a heavy heart because we we export about 90 percent of our plastic that we collect in the uk anyway for recycling we export it to um, to asia we export it to europe to Turkey we export it to places where they don't have the efficient um, recycling facilities and actually what ends up is these our plastic goes to these countries and then there are um, waste pickers in those countries that are literally sifting through our plastic recycling with often bare hands bare feet um, and they're sifting through and they're finding the the, the, the sort of higher quality plastic out of our recycling and then the rest of it just ends up in landfill or gets incinerated and quite often these uh, the the incineration is happening near or in these marginalized communities which is which is harming um, them and their children and it's really 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 ugly so as as much as possible um, we at city to see promote you know reduce, reuse and refill above recycling
0: and buying second hand is a brilliant way to kind of lessen your your impact as well and obviously there's um there's some amazing apps and websites like gumtree that you can use so how how do you think we can make that more sort of fashionable i know it's already quite trendy to be doing that but um more mainstream i guess
2: yeah well i think i mean um I don't know why I'm referencing my teenage son so much today, (laughs) but I have my thoughts. But um, he's he's using Depop, and loads of loads of the youth are using Depop. Um, I'm not on there yet. But in terms of in terms of you're not just talking about clothes, I know. But um, I think even like Facebook Marketplace, um, eBay Gumtree, Freecycle, um, and then you've got things like Olio where you can actually share your leftover food waste. um, and I know they're branching out into things like, um, you know, share books, like use it as a library. And um, so so I think that's, um, that the sort of secondhand is becoming more, is becoming more normalized and less sort of shameful. I think for a long time, as we came out of the 80s into the 90s, it was very much about new is a sign of affluence and wealth. And to be seen going into a charity shop was a bit like, mm, no, we you know, people, that. whereas then it became kind of trendy and sort of thrifting and became became more sort of um, more a thing. So I think I think people are realizing, you know, the the economic savings um, and the environmental impact of, of um Sharing websites and and secondhand websites, so I think it's. I I don't think it's a fad. I do definitely feel like that's that's here, and I see that in how you know Depop's kind of risen in popularity over the past like even just two years.
0: Yeah, its progression has been huge, hasn't it? And it's really exciting to see um the interest that 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 has generated, particularly in younger people. I think. Yeah. And where do you think education comes into it? And do you think that it should be a necessity for all ages on the national curriculum? Yeah, I mean I
2: think I think it very much is like more so much more on the curriculum now. Um and um and, and so I'm pretty um I'm pretty optimistic and buoyed by, you know, it's not the, the younger generation know exactly what's going on. Um, and it's, it's quite often that you know the young people that are coming home and telling their parents what they've learned and you know how they need to do better at home. So I think actually education-wise we're doing a good job, but you know there are definitely areas um, where it can it can be improved, and um, and we could actually be really training our our children in things that are really important and that are going to matter when we, um, you know, when we're faced with a fifth of the world's population as climate, um, climate migrants, you know, if we, if we're looking at that happening by 2050, like up to, um, a billion climate refugees, like what are we going to need to be able to help with that? We're going to need really, um, fantastic, like local food infrastructure. We're going to need, um, we're going to need really good affordable housing. We're going to need really good green affordable housing. We're going to need really accessible roads and transport and, uh, you know, roads in terms of like cycle paths and, and, um, and public transport. So, you know, could we be refocusing our curriculum to, to be like, okay, so, you know, everyone learns how to grow food. Everyone learns about, um, you know about about politics and how to influence change and i think we could be upskilling or preparing our kids um and also the resilience side of things as well because i'm not um i'm not optimistic about what's going to happen to our planet over the next sort of 30 to 50 years i think we are going to go through some some devastating changes and we're going to need to be uh strong and we're going to need to be compassionate and loving so you know how can we foster that in in at school i think is um i'm just like getting really into this now that's <laughs> all right i'm just go gonna be, for i'm it. just gonna <laughs> give it all up but give it up and go and do some teaching in schools so i'm gonna reform, reform the curriculum so it can be um for per- climate mitigation and adaptation <laughs> <laughs> yes gosh there's so much we can do um, and city to see we've launched um an education program called rethink periods and last year we trained I think, of the last school year, even online at recent months, I think it was something like 120,000 students took the, or received the um, Rethink Periods education programme, which was a free programme we developed Um and we got some funding from Waitrose and we worked with the Women's Environmental Network. Um, between us, we trained ambassadors and teachers that went out to schools and, and delivered um, an unbiased menstruation education programme. So talking about the environmental impact of our periods and debunking the myths and taboo and shame around periods.
0: Yeah, let's talk more about that because I know we've touched briefly on your plastic free periods campaign. And in, in your book, I was so shocked to see the plastic footprint of period products. So tell us a bit more about that.
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, most people don't have a clue about the amount of hidden plastics in our period products. So like a a pack of conventional, um, pads has the same amount of plastic in as five carrier bags. Um, and, and in the UK, we're flushing something like uh, two and a half million tampons and about 1.7 million um, pads down the toilet every day. And if you think of the amount of plastic that is, because even a tampon has a, uh, an invisible sort of plastic weave on the outside and then the string is generally like polyester or nylon. Um, so there's that's still a lot of plastic going down our, our waterways. And as we said earlier, that doesn't all make its way to the sewage system. Um, so, so yeah, there, there's some really exciting developments sort of in the period product marketplace. So, from washable period pants to menstrual cups to washable period pads, um, even reusable applicators. Uh, so, for people that don't want to ditch um, applicator tampons, at least they can still have a reusable applicator. So it's really exciting, sort of, the amount of products there are. And I think, like, even looking at, like, the number of Google searches that there have been for menstrual carp over, it's, like, increased, like, 300% or something over the past few years.
0: Amazing.
2: There's so many innovations in that
1: space, and it's good to see people actually wanting to innovate in that space. Yeah,
2: well, generally, as, as the joke, in joke goes, is like if, if men had periods, we would have had this innovation, like, you know, 400 years ago (laughs) (laughs) but now we're seeing way more women in business and you know female leadership it's 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 you know it's way less of a taboo I mean obviously it should never have been a taboo in the first place but we know it's now we're openly talking about our periods and 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 the environmental impact of them as well.
0: Yeah, I think for such a long time, especially at school as well, I always felt like I couldn't say period. I always had to say time of the month and like whisper it, or
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> rather than actually say the word. Yeah, so much stigma involved. Yeah, huge amounts, and we've we've really tried and learnt along the way. Like we started off, um, for 2016 when we first did, any, um Sort of research and um 2017 we launched our plastic free periods campaign, and generally then we were still saying um, like women's hygiene, feminine hygiene, or sanitary products, and we don't use any of those terms anymore. One because not all women menstruate, and not every person who has a period is identifies as a woman. So we we are gender neutral. With we just talk about people with periods. Um, and um, so, so we're aware of the, the sort of having a more inclusive approach to the language there, um, but also the, the 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 using those different words like saying sort of hygiene and sanitary just makes it all sound very dirty. So just sort of using changing the terminology to menstrual products or period products, um, and we're starting now to see that shift happen more in. Um, mainstream sort of supermarkets as well as changing it from like feminine hygiene um, and sanitary to, to period products or menstrual products.
0: Yeah I hadn't thought of that but yeah let's
1: just call it what it is they're, they're period products. <laughs> Another campaign of yours that I'd love to touch on is the PPE campaign that you're doing at the moment. Yeah. Um, I find I've noticed such a big increase in Um, plastics and waste during COVID. Um, So I think it's a really great campaign that you've started.
2: Thank you. Yeah, well, I'm definitely not going to take the credit for that because I was on furlough at the time. Uh, (laughs) But um, so, yeah, there was, we we quickly realised that there was this huge increase in in, um, litter from PPE, so the masks, and then just looking at, and the report started coming out of actually how much plastic was being used. And there, it ended up being this sort of like perfect storm of, of all this new plastic um, masks, gloves, sanitizer, you know, coverings combined with the fact that a lot of recycling places were shut or, or, or um, sort of on, on minimal capacity through the crisis. And most of this stuff can't be recycled anyway. Um, combined with uh, very, very cheap oil prices. And these things kind of combined and the plastics industry have essentially sort of co-opted the the crisis um, and used it as an opportunity to get lobbying and try and overturn some of the plastics bans happening around the world using the argument that plastic, single-use plastic is safer um, than you know, any other material. And so we've had to kind of uh, react to that and and raise awareness about that and and let people know that there is no scientific evidence, unless you're working, say, like in the front line of a hospital, there's no scientific evidence to say that a single-use mask is any safer than a reusable washable mask. So we've been campaigning around masks. And then in terms of reusables, um, we have a campaign called Contactless Coffee, been working with a number of restaurant chains showing people how they can safely use their reusable coffee cup and and their wa- get water refills as well so um so you know i am i am proud of how the team re- responded to that and, and we've been doing a lot of media uh, a lot of interviews and stuff around that as well um and and yeah there's a lot more work to be done
0: yeah and i think it's really important to highlight that because unless you're working in the medical sector or directly with Covid patients, you don't really need to use single-use PPE.
2: Exactly, you know, just just wash your hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, so basic. Yeah, and obviously, you know, if if the guidance is to wear a mask, then to wear a, a reusable, washable one.
0: So, aside from the current campaigns that you're working on, and I guess sort of in in response and reaction to the pandemic, have you got any other exciting plans on the horizon for City to see?
2: i think actually at the moment we're just kind of we're kind of weathering the storm you know it's not an easy time for for us um and and i would be lying if i said we haven't been adversely affected by the pandemic um with with some of our funding so i have i've rolled my sleeves back up um and and i am definitely sort of more hands-on at the moment with city to see so um you know, just looking at sort of finding new partnerships and and, um, people that want to support us and fund us. So that's, I'm kind of enjoying being more engaged with the business because last year was very much about me going off and giving talks and spreading the word about what we're doing and promoting my book, um, which was all great. But obviously I'm not doing much of that at all at the moment because it's all online. Um, So I'm I'm back... um, sort of yeah working with the team but that's a wonderful thing because we've got a fantastic bunch of people and we've got a lot of work internally to do you know we're still out of 25 staff we're we're predominantly white female middle class so you know there's a, a big piece of work that we're doing to um look at you know well not look at but to become a more diverse organization and um, we're also looking more into intersectional environmentalism and 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 big plastic as well. Like for me, there's a report coming out next week um, about which exposes some of the big um, industry tactics behind big plastic. And I think there's a role for us at City to see, and um, perhaps me as well to to exp- amplify that story. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Um, yes, and maybe another book along the way too but that, right now, I think it's um it's yeah sort of all all hands to the to the grindstone is that what we say <laughs> to the metal these all sound like really antiquated non sort of <laughs> terms, but anyway. <laughs>
0: So on our podcast, we always like to end on a positive note. And so we ask all of our guests um, if you could give us one piece of advice or one action to take away from this episode to start tackling climate change from today.
2: (laughs) Do you know the words that have come to my head Is like, sing? (laughs) You're going to sing your way through a climate catastrophe. (laughs) <laughs> um maybe it is. Maybe it's about connecting with your community. Um, I'd say we've just, you know, we're coming through or getting through in the middle of a, a pandemic, and a lot most of us have connected more with our neighbours than, than ever before. Um we've developed these WhatsApp groups. And so I would sort of say the positive thing could be to become your local um Sort of street champion for environmental things, and you can gently, you know, get bring people on board or talk about growing things and swapping seeds and, um, you know, swapping food and and using your local WhatsApp group as a way to um, build that community resilience and connection.
1: From plastics to periods to singing our way through it all, I absolutely loved our conversation with Natalie and that nothing was off-limits. She has such a great energy and is refreshingly honest. I found her approach to climate change and the actions we can all take accessible and easy to adopt, whatever your lifestyle or circumstances. She is doing some incredible things through her company city to sea and it was exciting to hear what they have on the horizon. And finally, her brilliant book, How to Save the World for Free, I think should be required reading for us all.
0: That brings us to the end of series one for the What on Earth podcast. Thank you so much to our incredible guests for sharing your endless wealth of knowledge with us. And thank you to all you lovely listeners for joining us. The ambition of this podcast was to break down climate change into manageable topics and actions that seem achievable for anyone. We purposefully covered a wide range of topics with the hope that you can connect to an area that is relevant to your life. I truly believe that we all have a role to play in the future of our planet. Even David Attenborough is telling us that we need to start right now. As Stephanie Devine said, let's not let perfect be the enemy of good. Make a start, make a change and help save the planet. Sending much love and stay safe.